0: So um, you can open your Bibles to John 14 if you'd like. And as has been mentioned already, this is Pentecost Sunday. And we've been in this sermon series on growing up into the fullness of Christ. And today, um, as we contemplate who the Holy Spirit is, we want to grow in surrender and trust of him. And so um, I'm going to be reading some scriptures just a few excerpts from John 14, 15, and 16. And these are Jesus' words as he prepared his disciples for when Jesus was going to ascend. He ascended, and then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. All right? So John 14:15 to 18. If you love me, keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father. And he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Then dropping down to verses 25 to 27. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Then looking at John 15. 26 and 27, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Then looking at John 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John 1612 to 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what's yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And then Jesus in Acts 1, 4 to 5 and 8, his words are recorded here also just before he ascended. And he said, it says on one occasion while he Jesus was eating with them he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my Father promised which you've heard me talk about For John baptized with water but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends Of the earth. Jesus was preparing them for the Holy Spirit's leadership. All right, I want to tell you a story. Maybe you saw this, some of you, in the news back in May. May 17th, it was a sunny afternoon, and there was a pilot and two passengers flying. And suddenly the pilot had a medical emergency, and he said, I'm not feeling well. And he slumps over the controls and puts the plane in a nosedive and a sharp right turn. Some of you are nodding your heads. All right, so this is what happens. The passenger next to him grabs the controls and pulls it out of the nosedive and radios and says, I have a problem here. (laughs) The, The pilot's incoherent, and I don't know how to fly. And so air traffic control says, all right, where are you? And he says, I have no idea. I see the coastline of Florida. I don't know how to fly. And they said, well, try to either go north or south and just follow the coastline. Try to keep your wings level, and we'll try to find you. For four minutes, this guy was trying to keep the wings level, trying to go along the coast, and finally, after four I can imagine, incredibly long minutes, he says, have you found us yet? And they said, we've located you. And he says, I don't know how to fly. He keeps (laughs) reemphasizing this. Well, the air traffic control says, "Um, we're going to help you. And so they, step by step, lead and guide him, and he makes a safe landing in Florida. And the air traffic controllers, experts that were watching on and and saw this, they said, this Cessna caravan, we've heard of passengers landing a plane safely before, but this is bigger and it's more complex. And they said he had to be incredibly calm and follow the directions exactly to land that plane. So praise the Lord, they landed the plane. But you can imagine how much that... Passenger who doesn't know how to fly is suddenly having to rely on guidance and follow that guidance step by step. Well, friends, our God has always been a God who leads and guides his people. So I want you to think with me for a minute back to the Old Testament. And he called Abraham and he said, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Right. And then when he was leading the Israelites through the wilderness, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them and on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Exodus thirteen twenty-one. So God led his people through the wilderness. He led Abraham, told him where to go. Then we see Jesus come on, incarnate God, and he comes on earth and he reveals himself as one who will lead and guide his people. So Matthew 4:19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Then he says to the rich young ruler in Mark 10:21, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So do you hear him giving leadership, guidance, and notice Jesus loved him. He loves you. He loves us. The disciples recognized Jesus as a loving God, and so they willingly spent their years following Jesus, watching what he did, watching what he said, and then when he sent them, he was giving leadership and guidance to where they should go for three whole years. Now, Rick Renner has a book, The Holy Spirit and You, Working Together as Heaven's Dynamic Duo. We talk a lot about human-divine cooperation, right? Yeah. All right. So he says this about the disciples and how they probably felt at Jesus' ascension when Jesus left earth and went to heaven. At ascension, the disciples lost the center of their life and the focal point of their attention for the last three years. Jesus had been their leader, their teacher, their mentor, their revelator, prophet, miracle worker, healer, pastor, and Lord. He taught them everything. Jesus had been their coach, and now suddenly their coach just left their sight. Now, we too face this. We don't have Jesus in the flesh here to watch and have us guide and tell us what to do moment by moment. But he had prepared his disciples, and he's prepared us through those words that we just looked at from John 14,15 and 16. But I want to take John 14:16 and just tell you that different um, translations, you know how they'll use different words. So John 14:16 says, "And I will ask the Father and He'll give you another advocate, another just like me, is what that means, to help you and to be with you forever that's the NIV. He'll give you an advocate. The ESV and the New American Standard says helper. The Holman Christian Standard Bible calls him the counselor. King James, some people are just diehard King James version, the comforter. The NIRV says friend. The amplified says a lot of them. Helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby. All these descriptions, if you've read this, depending on what version you read, you may have thought, oh, helper or advocate. I don't really know what advocate means. We don't use that word that much um, unless you need a medical advocate or a um, legal advocate. Comforter, if you aren't feeling the need for comfort at the moment, maybe it's kind of passed you by. But the significance is that he would be one just like Jesus. And the disciples needed Jesus moment by moment. And this is not optional. We need the Holy Spirit moment by moment. The paraclete, the one that he would call and summon to aid, just like that passenger called air traffic control and said, I'm up here in a plane and I don't know how to fly, we can call on the Holy Spirit and say, I'm here in this life right now in this moment, in this situation. I don't know what to do. And he comes and he helps. So just to be clear, who is the Holy Spirit? I went back and dug through the Athanasian Creed. It was a document back in the 300s when the early church was trying to figure out how do we think about God as he reveals himself as Father, as Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Right, Trinity? I want to just read these words for you. That we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity neither blending their persons or dividing their essence, for the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit still another, but the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal, what quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. And so it goes on to make these points. The Holy Spirit is eternal, just like the Father and Son. The Holy Spirit is almighty, just like the Father and the Son. And so the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three Lords, there's one Lord. And so I'm trying to make this very clear and I hope, I hope I'm drilling it in your heads right now. <laughs> Alright? The Holy Spirit is God and He is capable, just like Jesus and the Father, of giving good leadership and guidance. Now the Catechism, I tell you, I want to be clear, why was the Holy Spirit sent? And I'm not giving you the exhaustive list but I, uh, about all that he does, but I want to tell you this, that the Catechism says in question and answer 49, it says, how does Christ's ascension, that means when he went to heaven, how does it benefit us? And the third point it makes is this, Jesus sends his spirit to us on earth, and by the Spirit's power we seek not earthly things, but the things above, where Christ is seeding At the God's right hand. And so the Holy Spirit by his power makes us kingdom minded. It helps lift our eyes above the waves. We sang about that, right? And so he helps us to not just get dragged down in all the nitty gritty minutia and the difficulties of this life. But he helps by his power lift our eyes and think about kingdom minded things. So the Holy Spirit, you could say, is our life coach. He guides us into all truth. John sixteen says that. He calls us to special work. You remember he called Barnabas and Saul to the work that he've called them? He said, The Holy Spirit said. So Acts thirteen, two, he calls us to special work. He directs the paths of believers. Acts eight twenty-nine, the Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Now just remember this is the same Holy Spirit that was at work in the early church, is at work. In our lives and available today to lead and guide us. Now, He knows and reveals the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 10, 11. And He glorifies Jesus, John 16, 14. He will glorify me because it's from me that He'll receive what He makes known to you. All right, so the Holy Spirit is our life coach. And when we understand that the Holy Spirit is God who is promised as a gift to the church, then we're going to understand why the early disciples in Acts 2 were up in that upper room praying and waiting eagerly for this gift that God was going to give them. Because for those 10 days when Jesus ascended and when they're waiting for the gift, I imagine was like the four minutes when that passenger was waiting for aircraft to can like figure out where they are and start guiding them because the the mission they've been given this big mission right go and make disciples of all the world how do we do this they just you know killed our leader and then he was resurrected but you know things are hostile how do we do this all right god's put on my heart a couple of questions that i want to ask you and one is this are you honoring the holy spirit as fully god And are you completely surrendered to him? Bill Bright, when he used to teach about um, being filled with the Spirit, he would say, who's on the throne of your heart? And are you recognizing that the Holy Spirit has been sent as Lord and God to sit on the throne of our hearts and to lead us day by day? And then second, are you treating the Holy Spirit's guidance as optional Or do you recognize his guidance as essential? And I share this story with Dane's permission. We were going to a restaurant, and he said, why don't you just put it in GPS? So I asked them to give us directions. And so it says, okay, when you get to the end of Forest Hills, turn left. And Dane says, why is it saying that? I don't want to go to Patterson. I want to go to 28th Street. I'm not going that way so he goes on his merry way and I'm like, well, I think it's because and he's like, no, I'm going this way. So then it's saying, all right, at the next flight, turn right. I, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going this way. So he goes this way. He goes, I'm going over to East Paris. I'm going to get on East Paris. We get to that intersection. East Pierce is closed. Oh, I didn't know East Pierce was closed for construction. I should have remembered that. So then the directions are telling us, go down one more street and turn left, and then at the light, turn right. And he goes, no, I want to go down the 32nd street. And anyway, and I'm thinking, why do we have these directions on? He's not listening to a blooming thing it's saying, right? And um, it's kind of comical. It's kind of like, why don't we just turn this off now? Because you know where you want to go. And suddenly as I'm reflecting on that, All of a sudden, it wasn't funny anymore because I thought, isn't that like how we can just disregard those promptings of the spirit? And he says, make that call. Send a note. Go say I'm sorry. No, no, I want to go do this. No, I'm busy right now. We have a million excuses. But are we really letting him be king and Lord and guide our paths. Because it's really disrespectful of the Holy Spirit's leadership if we're not listening and letting him guide us. The Holy Spirit, just like Jesus and the Father, is sent to lead and guide God's people. And here's two scriptures that make it clear. Galatians 5, 24 and 25 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then Romans 8.14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. How do we know that we're children of God? We're being led by the Spirit of God. It's evidence of it. And at Pentecost... The disciples gave evidence that they were children of God because suddenly when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus and the kingdom, right? Makes them kingdom-minded. They recognize, and why did they burst into joyful celebration and praise? Because suddenly they recognize that just like Jesus had been with them, suddenly the Holy Spirit is with them. And they knew, and they were just overflowing with joy and praise and empowerment to speak about the kingdom. And it wasn't, it didn't sound stressful at all, did it? When you read in Acts 2, how they responded, it was they were bubbling over. All right, I want to tell you about a story from the 1700s, because Pentecost happened, and yes, the Lord poured out the Holy Spirit, But he says, in these last days, and this is going to continue on during this time between Jesus' first coming and his second, he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit. And so don't you know we need the Holy Spirit's leadership and guidance again and again and again? And so let me tell you a little story about the 1700s in Eastern Europe and what's been called the Moravian Pentecost and Revival of 1727. Nicholas Zindendorf was born into Austrian royalty. His father died when he was young. He was raised by his mom and his grandma. They were Christians. They raised him to know Jesus, and they said that he was he loved Jesus as a young age. And Marissa, you talked about loving Jesus at a young age. They said he would write love notes to Jesus, go up to the top window, and let him fly out trying to send love letters to Jesus when he was a little boy. His family assumed that he would go in and serve in some sort of government. And so he followed his family's expectations and was serving. But he really had a heart for um, those that were suffering from religious persecution. Over in what's now um, the Czech Republic, there was um, religious persecution. And um, they were being persecuted so severely that they were leaving their country and they were refugees. And so we had compassion on those that were coming from the countries where Morovia and Bohemia. And um, there were 10 immigrants that came, and so he asked his grandma, can I buy this property from you so that these immigrants can live there? There were 10 immigrants. She said yes. And so in June of 1722, the first tree was felled, and they started to build a little establishment for the immigrants to live there and they called it Hern hut which means the lord's watchful care or the lord's protection within 5 years there were 220 immigrants that were living there with 87 children and they were from these denominations lutheran reformed presbyterian baptist and others after the reformation and the light and the glory of the reformation I guess within a couple hundred years, people were bickering horribly over doctrine. And here they have these immigrants from multiple denominations that are trying to come and live together. And so there were sharp disputes, it said, um, over doctrine. And so Zin Zindorf, you really should practice trying, saying some of these words so that you don't laugh at me when I try to say them. But um, so Count Zin Zindorf goes house to house and is praying with people and pleading with them to live in brotherly love and unity. They struggled for five years, living there but struggling to get along. The Holy Spirit led them towards unity and love. He found this brotherly covenant that they all agreed together that they were going to live in unity, and it did help the disputes, but it didn't transform their hearts How many of you know we need the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts? They needed a heart transplant, and that self-effort wasn't working. And so, on July 16 of 1727, they began to pray together as never before. They were praying for unity. Then the Holy Spirit gave them a hunger for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit somehow put it in their minds that they needed to pray for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so on August 5th of 1727, Zindendorf and 14 others spent a whole night in prayer. And they said at midnight, great emotion prevailed. Then the Holy Spirit, the next day, August 6th, A little 11-year-old girl who had been praying for three days suddenly has this encounter with the Lord and um, has her own personal revival. And she starts to share what's happened. And other children start to experience the encounter of the Lord and get caught up in this revival among children. All right, August 5th, August 6th, August 10th at noon, they're having a worship service. And suddenly the pastor feels overwhelmed by a wonderful and irresistible power of the Lord and he sank down in the dust before God and with him sank down the whole assembled congregation in ecstasy of feeling and they continued until midnight that started at noon. At midnight, they're still praying and singing and weeping and interceding. That wasn't even the Moravian Pentecost. On Wednesday the 13th, this is what they say, they were meeting together. Zinzindorf preached a sermon about the blood of the Lamb, and they were getting ready to have communion, and suddenly they said the Holy Spirit fell on them with such a powerful visitation that they called it their own Pentecost. Historians said that they saw the hand of God and his wonders And they were under, they said, the cloud of their fathers being baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost came on us, and in those days, great signs and wonders took place in their midst. From that time on, scarcely a day went by that they didn't see almighty workings among us. Remember, Holy Spirit is almighty. He's Lord. He's God. There was a great hunger after the word of God, so much so that they had to start having three church services a day. 5 a.m., 7.30 a.m., and 9 p.m. That is hunger for the word. And everyone desired above all else that the Holy Spirit would have full control. They said that selfishness just went out the door, and all they wanted was just to um, share the love and the grace of God. They got caught up in it. It said, a great ocean of divine love. That sounds like contemporary song lyrics. But you see this love, the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Zindendorf himself said that there was a sense of the nearness of Christ, so much so that the whole congregation, all the people felt it, and two of their members were 20 miles away. They didn't know the meeting was happening. And they, too, felt the very nearness, the tangible, manifest presence of God right with them at that moment. Well, then it just gave this passion for God's glory to spread. And so they said they felt like they needed to increase in prayer and worship because they wanted to see the glory go all around the world. The Holy Spirit led the children to pray. Said from August 13th to the 26th that day after day that the adults would look out and the children would be up on the hills, kneeling, laying down, weeping, praying together for hours and hours and hours. And then on August 27th, a 24 hour prayer initiative started where 24 men, 24 women were going to take an hour each day and pray. And then more and more so that there were 77 of them that were on this rotation of taking an hour each day throughout the whole day, day after day, week after week. And it lasted for a hundred years. A hundred years. The Holy Spirit kept them in prayer. He, he caused them to be kingdom minded so much so that Zinnendorf would just tell the people, okay, and it wasn't, they weren't meeting all at the same place. They said there was like maybe two or three meeting each hour, and Zindendorf once a week would just send out some prayer points and talk to him about, we're going to pray about things that are of the kingdom. So we're praying for different communities. We're praying for different countries. We're praying for mission. The Holy Spirit stirred the mission so much that from that place, long before William Carey, even though he's kind of known as the father of the mission movement, that um, the Morovians had already, by uh, 60 years before Kerry started, they had already sent out over 100 missionaries from Hernhut. And what makes it remarkable is they were only 300 people. They were 300 people. And they sent out 100 missionaries to all over the world. The Holy Spirit led them. The Holy Spirit guided them. And can you imagine if you say, I don't feel capable. I don't feel like, you know, I'm not that that much. Here's a guy who didn't have a dad growing up to model for him. Here are people who are so persecuted, they just need safety. And yet they're so filled with the love and the goodness of God that they're willing to go back out into dangerous situations to be missionaries. This is the transformation of the Holy Spirit. This is letting the Holy Spirit be God in our lives. And he leads us today. Church, I don't know about you, but when I look at the world, I think it's getting more and more hostile towards Christianity. We're facing a culture that doesn't even believe in absolute truth anymore. And as has been prayed about, the potential for division among Christians even, and the fighting and the bickering, We need a move of the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Mary and Nancy have been praying for more prayer because they sense, and they've sensed with the pastors a need for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And we're praying, Lord, how would you do this? How would you move us? And it's been months since November, praying for more prayer and then a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week and a half ago, the pastors get a note from a couple here in church. And I'm going to ask Neil and Anna to come forward. And I want you to hear what God's putting on their hearts. And they've got little ones, so I don't know how you're going to manage this. But we're we're a family church, so bring the kids on up or whatever needs to happen here. You do that. You're you're much better at that than me. <clears throat> but um, I want you to share with them a little bit about what God's been putting on your heart.
1: Yeah. So uh, I don't know exactly where you left off, but I have a, a desire for um, revival for um, the church and the community. But that really starts. Uh, it's really personal to me. I have so many friends. Co-workers that desperately need the Lord, um, in hopeless situations, stress, anxiety—it's just, it's just everywhere. Um, so that's where my my desire starts is, is a personal. Um, we have family members that need Jesus. We, we 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 see the brokenness, and we want the Lord to move. Um, secondly, we moved to this to this community, uh, the west side of Grand Rapids, very intentionally. You know, we wanted um, to be a part of what the Lord's doing here, and I think over the last couple of years, you know, having Young kids. Um, I haven't seen a way to actively engage, but one way we can engage is pray, and we can get together at 6:30 in the morning and pray. That's one thing that we can do, and we want to, want to partner with the, what the Lord is doing, uh, and ask for more. We've seen the Lord work powerfully here. We've seen the Lord work, the Lord work powerfully in this community already, but we want more.
2: So we had been um, wondering about. Um, Get asking, inviting people to gather together once a week um, to, just to begin to pray for revival. It takes a village, right? Um, and so the Lord had put the idea on our heart to meet once a week um, in the early morning to begin praying for the Lord to pour out His Spirit, whether that's on our friends, on our family, on our neighborhood, however He leads um, in a style similar to noon prayer, where we first listen and ask the Lord for guidance and then pray as, as he leads. But on the on the topic, on the purpose of asking him to bring re- spiritual renewal and revival and to move in people's hearts. Um, I don't know if you want me to say any more about any details that we're thinking. Go ahead. So we're... Um, we're wondering about Thursday mornings at 6.30 in the morning. Um, our work and family schedules don't allow us to join noon prayer on Wednesdays, which many of you participate in. And we have been, we have in other seasons of our life, and it's been such a rich time. So we've been longing for that kind of corporate prayer experience where we gather with other believers to pray. And we've seen God work powerfully through times like that before, and we're hungry for more of that um, so if you are interested, if if your schedules allow for a 6:30 a.m. prayer meeting, um, come talk to us. If revival's on your heart, if you're listening to us and going, this has been the cry of my heart too, that God would move powerfully in my friends and my family's lives. Um, come and talk to us and um, let us know that you're that you're interested. Um, yeah, Caroline. I... I yeah. We're thinking of, um, of in-person right now, but I I'm we're just testing this idea and asking you to pray with us. So if you're, um, yeah, we're thinking in-person, but if you're interested but you say, I can't make it here to the church at 630 on Thursdays and there's enough interest for Zoom, then it's something we could consider.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for um, coming forward and, and sharing that. I'm going to go ahead and invite you to... Go be seated. Get this. <clears throat> Our culture loves 10-year big vision, strategy, all of the things. We know where we're going. We as a church are going wherever the Holy Spirit's leading us. And when I look through and see what happened at Pentecost, they didn't know, but they started meeting in houses, right? And they started gathering together. And the Lord led them. Zinzendendorf didn't know the whole big strategy. And I love the history that day by day, oh, now the children are having revival. Now the, now the adults are meeting. Oh, now they're having an all night prayer. Oh, now they're starting to meet twos and threes. We don't know what the Lord's doing, but we sense the Lord stirring. And maybe he's stirring you to join with the Blakes at 6.30 in the morning. Maybe others of you are saying, I feel a stirring, but it's the stirring to pray at a different time or a different place. We want to be open to that, and we love to hear your ideas of what the Lord's doing. We just want to let the Lord be the Lord and let the Holy Spirit guide us because we don't have to be afraid. We're not like the passenger on the plane that has to be terrified because they don't know what's going to happen. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to send an advocate and he'll guide you. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the Holy Spirit who comes and reveals what's on the Father's heart. You lead us into kingdom-minded work. You, you propel us out into mission as you've transformed us in your presence as we pray and as we worship. And as we're filled with you. And so I thank you that we are optimistic as we look to the future. Because you have good plans for Gold Avenue Church. You have good plans for your church around the world. And we just declare again, Jesus, you are Lord. And you're Lord over your church. And you're Lord over each individual that that proclaims you as Lord. And I pray that together we would surrender our agendas, that we wouldn't resist your promptings, but that we would say, have your way. We surrender. We submit. And all God's people said, amen.